Welcome, everyone, to Burn the Ship, the podcast that inspires entrepreneurs to go all in and connects them with professionals that can help them. Today, we have a wonderful Miss Judy McLaughlin uh, with Judy411. How are you doing today? I am great. Thank you for inviting me. I'm so happy to be here. Oh, most definitely. Most definitely. We appreciate you taking time out and spending some time with us today. Uh, With this particular podcast, we want you to share some of your stories, share your history of how you have gotten to where you are and help some of these entrepreneurs that are checking out the podcast today to get educated and hopefully you can motivate them to step out there a little bit. So, if you don't mind, just share with the audience today. Where, so where are you from? Tell us a little bit about your story. Where are you from? I am a native Bostonian. I was born in East Boston, and I grew up in the south coast of Massachusetts down in Bristol County in a town called Fall River, Massachusetts. I like to say I had a very delicious childhood. Okay. Um, a lot of Portuguese food down there. Mm-hmm. If you're familiar with Charisse or Linguisa, Um there's also a great Lebanese community down there. So you get some great Lebanese meat pies. Um, pr- pretty much um, it kind of earned me the nickname of Judy Can't Miss a Meal. Okay. Block. <laughs> so um, that's, that's really my childhood roots. I came back to Boston in the late 80s to go to UMass Boston. Okay. And where I earned my English degree in composition and linguistics. And then from there, I started working in... The financial world, because that's, of course, what English majors do. Right, right. right. <laughs> it's a little different. <clears throat> a little different. But what, one of the things I had learned from um, my mentors in college was that if you can read and write, then you really can do many things. Mm-hmm. And one of the first things I learned when I stepped into the financial world, I started working at Putnam Investments in the international trade department was that it was really important to communicate clearly because we were communicating with people from all over the world. So, you know, you tend to lean on different types of shorthand that don't always translate well, or as you know, the great phrase get lost in translation. So being able to clearly communicate with our business partners worldwide on making sure that trade settled on time and that money arrived on time became, it became very clear to me how crucial clear communication was. And so I, and I did everything I could to learn as much as I could about the mutual fund industry, which at the time was really starting to take off. Okay. And from there, um, I spent a couple of years at Putnam and then I moved over to um, a company that um, the time was called Financial Publishing Company. And they um, created bond ad- analytics for mortgage derivatives. So really my life just got more exciting. Right. As time right. Went. I was about and to say, like, really, I want to take a nap. I'm like, no, man, this is fascinating. <laughs> okay. Like once you learn how, you know, money moves and what people do with it and how they structure it and then sell these things out on the open market, it was really pretty fascinating. So awesome. I, you know, then there I got, um, the company was um, bought by Thomson Reuters. Mm-hmm. I worked there for a few for a few years in the municipal bond division, and then eventually went over to Fidelity Investments to do financial regulatory work um, in their legal department. And so, you know, all the shareholder communications that people get for their four hundred one ks and their proxy statements and the stuff they kind of tend to throw in the trash, <laughs> I understand. Um, or don't really know what it is. Mm-hmm. Um, I 
my, part of my role was to ensure that all the correct information was in there, that it was clear, that it was accurate, and then it met regulatory standards. And I did that for mutual funds and in the insurance industry and for annuities. Okay. Um, and then, you know, family came along mm-hmm. and mm-hmm. I pivoted toward um, consulting in that same area. So I worked with so, them. So you left the company, but then just I started doing it on your own? My second child was born in 2005. Okay. And, um, you know, to speaking to the power of networking, I have always been a habitual networker. I'm just naturally curious about who people are and what they do and how they got to where they are. Mm-hmm. And, you know, I created some really strong alliances with coworkers who themselves too were, we were in the earlier stages of our career and a group of them had moved over to um, a bank that's now part of State Street Bank and Trust. And they had a huge disclosure project that needed to be executed in a very short period of time. And it was in the area of what we call content management. Mm -hmm. Um, So basically building a database of disclosure that companies could use to automate their shareholder communications. So I did a lot of work in creating those um, data files. And because I had a wealth of information on different, you know, types of types of funds, what was what was needed, how to structure things so that we could repurpose information. So we, you know, there's certain aspects of your prospectus that don't change. Mm -hmm. my past performance is no guarantee of future results, right? So that becomes a standard language, but then there's like variations on the theme. So that was a lot of fun. I did that for several years. And um, in 2008, when the market tanked and people became too big to fail. Right. I understand. um, I pivoted once again. And after doing all the corporate law, I went to paralegal school to learn different areas of law. And I had a, um, paralegal practice for several years. Okay. So, so you, you worked with a bunch of attorneys in the beginning and this Mm -hmm. was without you having any law education at all. Yeah. Okay. Okay. So you were just, (laughs) okay. Okay. Cause I was thinking about what you were saying. I said, sounds like she has to talk to attorneys all the time to get this, this, these terms down to make sense. Okay. I get it. I get it. I get it. So you work with them and then you started your, or went to your own company? So I started my own paralegal practice and Mm -hmm. I focused on solo practitioners because typically in that environment, they don't, those attorneys typically do not always have the overhead or the funds to hire a full-time paralegal. So, and, but there are times where there's peaks and valleys in the type of work that they're doing. So they may get a really big case that requires a whole lot of research Mm -hmm. and writing and I could step in temporarily to carry them over to the finish line. And I built up a pretty decent book of business um, doing that for several years. And that was a great balance to, you know, the family life. I was the anchor parent at home Mm -hmm. and um, I wanted to have one foot still in, in the professional realm and be able to be there for my daughters. A little bit more flexibility way to show them that, you know, you can you, you can't necessarily have it all, but you can it, or all at the same time. But there's a way to balance the the sheet that way, and that's so you can have a little bit of your own professional um, ambition in addition to being a good parent. Yeah, um, that's so important. That's there, important. I spent a couple of years after that at Bank of New York Mellon. 
Okay. Um, I went back into the regulatory corporate world. But the theme has always um, carried through in all of these jobs has been that no matter where I am, what I'm doing, I seem to be um, designated the uh, department word nerd. And everybody came to me with like, Gee, do we have to write this really difficult, you know, um, letter to a client, or we have to position ourselves to present this particular point of view, and we're not sure we can do it right, but you, we know that you can, um, or just trying to organize, you know, disclosure things like that. There's always this common theme of people leaning to me for my writing expertise that I had managed to also keep up with. I always managed to squeeze in some writing into right. each one of these jobs. Right. And finally in 2019, I said, you know what, I, I'm kind of tired of squeezing it in when it's really the thing I love the most about any job that I've held was that when there was ever an opportunity to write, I seized it. And, you know, it, it just brought me such joy and it felt so easy to do it. You know, like that they say, like, if you, love what you do, you never have to work another day in your life. Okay. And I said, you know what, I just think it's time. I mm -hmm. think it's time to mm -hmm. really take this to the next level and really focus on writing for businesses as opposed to squeezing it writing into a job. Right, right. Makes a lot and of sense. So in 2019, I launched Judy411.com. And the 411 is because I seem to have a little bit of info about everything. Okay. And I'm also, there's a phenomenon with me where I could be picked out of a crowd of thousands to ask how to get to Route 93 or what time the bus is coming or where's the closest Baptist church. And I always seem to know the answer. Exactly. Okay. So I just have this aura about me that people gravitate to me for information. Awesome. Awesome. And I had a friend who nicknamed me Judy 401. I said, it just makes sense to have that be the name. Well, that's a good and deal. It's very catchy. It is. It is. It seems like, um, you know, you have been able to just help get what we're trying to communicate out when it yes. comes to words. And, yes. you know, one of the things I want you to try to communicate now is we know, understand based off what you shared so far, you were in corporate, you went to corporate things, you stopped for a moment. And then you started your own business and then you went back and now you started it again. One of the things that we try to do here is motivate those entrepreneurs to take that step. What was that factor that made you say in 2019, I'm going to step back out there and get on my own? Was it that the children were getting older or was it, what was that? Things that drove that I had, you know, my teen, my, by that time, my children were teenagers. They were in middle school and high school. They were a little more self-sufficient. My older one had started driving. And I felt like, you know, they had, I've now gotten to the point where that they can leave the nest and do their thing, you know, of course, and always return. Um, but then I said, you know, it's also time for the mama bird to be able to leave the nest and, and fly a little more than you know, not so much short trips, but longer trips and at a higher altitude, if you will, to mm -hmm. continue the metaphor. But mm -hmm. um, it, it really just cut to the point. I really enjoyed working for myself and being able to manage my time and decide how I was going to get paid as opposed to having to deal with the corporate structure of, okay, you're at this level. And then, you, you know, you get your, it was just a little too 
um, <clears throat> limited to me. Like I felt like there were just too many limits put on me. And it's funny, you know, when I think about people who worked in the legal profession, you think they they would like limits, right? And but one of the things I would always manage to find would be the loophole. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I'm like, oh, but there's a loophole here. Right. But there's a loophole here, and we're not about the loopholes. We're about I'm like, yeah, but there's a loophole. So I always get excited about the loophole. <laughs> okay. And and it was like one of these things. Like over time, it's like the slow drip of information comes out to you, and you have to be willing to listen to it. And, you know, sometimes the drip is very soft, but sometimes it's really loud. And it just got louder and louder for me. Mm-hmm. And I finally just said, you know what? I just think it's time. And I've always wanted to have my own business on my terms, doing the thing that I wanted to do the most, which was write, communicate, and be, you know, a strategic partner with my clients and helping them get their message out in the world. Okay. And particularly for people who have, you know, like esoteric concepts. So, for example, one of my clients is a mortgage broker. And people, you know, the noise that you hear out in the universe, particularly now, is that rates are so low, rates are so low, rates are so low, rates are so low. But what's more than, not just about the rate, and that's actually her tagline, um, her name is Debbie Siegel, and she's the founder of Westchester Mortgage. She's one of my clients and one of my dearest friends. And she's been a wonderful business mentor to me as well. And we started talking about, you know, it, it, she actually came to me because she wanted to cultivate some testimonials from clients. And she said, would you interview one of my clients and just find out why he keeps coming back? Mm-hmm. <laughs> she was mm-hmm. like... I, I know he, he says he likes me and said, but there's got to be more to this story. And I said, oh, there's definitely more to the story and I'll find out what it is. So I, I just spoke with the guy for half an hour and he laid it out. He was like, she's on top of things. She explains things. She makes solutions that work for me. They're not like a retrofit into a limited number of products that like you would typically see in maybe if you went to a traditional bank or an online lender. Um, so we really have managed to amplify that message for her through her LinkedIn profile, through some evergreen content in her LinkedIn articles section. We're now working on developing a blog for her website. Um, and we're leveraging a lot of her newsletter content in different ways to kind of keep people informed that it's not, you just can't chase the rate. Just the way in investments, you don't just chase yield. You look at the larger picture. Like it could be great yield, but what's the risk you're taking to do that? Does that really speak to what your overall long-term goal is as an investor? Right, right. You know, how comfortable are you with risk? So, you know, we, we zero in on one piece information but then we expand to show that there's other factors that play into these decisions. And when I get into a situation like that with a client, it, like I am like beyond jazzed up. Like I, you can see it. I'm like, this is like the best. Right. And just laying it out in really simple terms and like examples of people, you know, they're, you know, case studies and things like that it just becomes so much more fun to talk about these concepts in a way that everyone can understand as i would say you know finance for the rest of us um Mm -hmm, (laughs) mm -hmm, because we don't know 
you don't know what you, really you don't, don't know. That's right. And I consider myself very much a door opener to those types of stories and conversations and information. Okay. So it seems like you can help when it comes to uh, the testimonials uh, mm-hmm. as far as your services you're providing. Um, mm-hmm. I was looking, doing a little research, and I saw you also did LinkedIn refreshers. How does that work? It's a LinkedIn profile makeover. Mm-hmm. And it is largely targeted to individuals who are business owners. So it's not necessarily, I mean, if you're looking to move from one corporate job to another corporate job, it's not for you. But what I have seen is that LinkedIn from many business owners is an underutilized social media platform. I like to say it's like the best kept secret for business owners. There's a lot of noise, as I like to say, around Facebook. You're also very limited in Instagram because it's a very visual forum and people don't tend to read as much of you know, your captions and in Instagram, but on LinkedIn is where the professionals hang out. In the last stats I looked at, there were 750 million people on LinkedIn. Pretty much any business owner could find their people there if they position their message correctly. The flip side of that is that a lot of people have a LinkedIn profile that they put up 10, 15 years ago and promptly forgot about it. Right, right. And they've gone from, you know, working in, you know, say working at Bank of America to becoming an independent financial advisor, but no one really knows this. And so what we do when I engage with people on the um, LinkedIn profile makeover, I talk about their business, what they're doing now, and how, you know, their professional life up to that point led them to this stage. And we do, um, so we, we focus in on like the heavy hitting info, like have a decent profile picture, have a tagline that's more than your name and your title. Like for instance, a life insurance agent, I'd say life insurance, your, your agent for life, um, mortgage broker is more than, is, is more than about the rate, you know, something a little more clear. So when people see it, it stands out for a couple of reasons. For one, it's not your typical title. And two, it starts to tell more of the story. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Then we move into the about me section of people's LinkedIn profiles, which I have found that the uh, about me is a bit of a misnomer. It's not about me. It's about you, the consumer, and what I can do for you. It's not this... Um, you know, in the traditional resume world, we talk about our accomplishments. We focus on us because we're promoting us to someone else. But when we're promoting ourselves to someone whom, with whom we want to do business, it, you have to show the value proposition and what it is that you're doing to help them get from point A to point B. So it's told a little bit in that, um, you know, buyer's journey bit. You know, here's this, here's situation, here's the problem, here's the solution, here's the transformation. Mm-hmm. We, so we focus on telling that story a little differently. We'll get into the professional background in more of a story form, saying, giving context for, um, you know, when I worked at this company, this was the things that we did, and here's the things we changed, and here's the impact we have for clients. And again, in that whole problem, solution, transformation, mm-hmm. I, I always call it the three-act play. Okay. 
But the real secret sauce that I have found in the LinkedIn profile makeover is what is hands down the most underutilized aspect of people's LinkedIn profiles is the article writing function. When I mention this to people, they're like, what article writing function? I'm like, you know, you can write blogs and promote, promote them on LinkedIn for free, right? And they're okay. like, no. I'm like, okay, here's what we're going to do. We'll come up with three ideas that you have about your business that you wish people knew about. And then we, cart, we create a blog post around them. And I want, I tend to do this in what I call the evergreen content kind of way. So usually timeless topics. Okay. For example, I have um, a reverse mortgage broker as a client. And there's a lot of misunderstanding around reverse mortgages. You know, they, it can be an incendiary topic, um, particularly if you're dealing with people who've gone through um, a probate or an estate. You know, the kids are all upset because they didn't get the money from the house they thought they were going to get because mom and dad got sold a reverse mortgage and it was terrible. I'm like, not necessarily. They used the equity while they were living as opposed to leaving it to you after they passed. And it, that's the, that's the trade-off. In mm -hmm. any investment, there's a trade-off. That's right. You can't have your cake and eat it too. Um, although I've never really understood that. Yeah. But because um, <laughs> you do kind of <laughs> like, have you your cake, cake, you have your cake it, and you eat it. Right. Nonetheless. Right. Um, so for Renee, we created um, you know five myths about reverse mortgages and giving people the real deal. And that's the evergreen content you're talking that's about. That's evergreen day? content because okay. particularly for that product, those things don't change. So if you go to her LinkedIn profile, and I can give you the links to this for the notes mm -hmm. as well. Um, you'll see there's the five Heckam myths. So we call it reverse mortgages, but it's a home equity collateral mortgage. I think there's the acronym means something else, but um, you know, five myths about reverse mortgages and then some ways that you can actually use that equity in you know, the way seniors can use the equity for say home improvements so they can remain, stay in age in place in their homes. Um, it's not just, you know, this secret vacation fund that people, if you want to do that, that's great. There are very, lim very few limitations on how you can use the funds, but there's also, um, I believe a piece out there about the, um, the counseling that people are required to go through before they can qualify for a mortgage. And, so we really kind of clarified for folks out there that these are not, you know, it's not the axis of evil. There's a time and a place and a circumstance for an investment of the, for a, a product of this sort. And as a result, you know, we promoted those blog of those blogs on LinkedIn and her LinkedIn profile has now served as a primary funnel for her business. Awesome. Awesome. It seems like you go in, you talk to business owners, you discover what that value piece is, mm -hmm. and then you focus your writing around that. Now, the mortgage, your mortgage broker friend seems mm -hmm. like she is going on a good path and she's doing good. You've helped her with those testimonials and that was a good case. Why don't you mm -hmm. share with us one of those um, no names, of course, bad cases that you came across and how you fixed that particular issue. 
Well, in the real estate realm, I had actually collaborated with um, a good friend of mine. Her name's Nancy Glaser Pearl. She's a wonderful um, graphic designer and creative professional. And we worked with um, a real estate brokerage in Texas. And they were located around University of Texas at UT Austin. And one of the uh, little known facts about um, tuition for out-of-state students in the state of Texas is that you are able to establish Texas residency by virtue of a real estate purchase. Mm -hmm. So you can, so say for example, your kid gets accepted to UT Austin, you purchase a condo in their name, they can establish residency within a year, they qualify as an in-state resident and can save anywhere between eighty to one hundred thousand dollars a year on their a hundred over time mm -hmm. on their tuition. So it's a huge proposition, great value proposition, and there are a lot of people who don't know about it. So we were able to create better website copy, better social media posts and a targeted Google ads campaign to get clients into the funnel to get also um, a drip campaign of information about this value proposition. And basically, prior to this, it had been mostly word of mouth for this broker. We were able to supplant that into a digital forum, which saved him an enormous amount of time. And bought the bucks. Right. I mean, it was right. like definitely like show me the money. Okay. And one of the one, one of the linchpin in it was that we actually were to we were actually able to work with um, a blogger who specializes in consulting with out of state clients who want to get into UT Austin and he works with them on their application process. And he's like the go to guy for it. And we did um, we were a guest blogger on his blog, had backlinks to client's website, and that pushed them onto the first page of Google. Nice, nice. Well, that's, that's awesome. Share there, um, because so far we've established, you know, the things that it took for you to step out there and start your own. Uh, mm -hmm. We shared some successes uh, that you've had and what we try to focus on is the networking aspect of things as well. So we know who that target is and who you're trying to help. Um, who have you seen doing your networking that has been a good referral partner for you, that has sent you the opportunities? What does that person look a like? A good referral partner for me um, is almost always a happy client. But when it comes to um, – I'm a big collaborator. Mm -hmm. So I'm purely the word girl. Like that's, that's my zone of genius. That's where I prefer to operate working with graphic designers or branding strategists, people who are more on the visual side of the forum are great business partners, digital marketing agencies who need writers for their clients, blogs, website, copy, newsletters, email drip campaigns. Those are also great referral partners. Um, and I'd probably say the third would be actually my financial advisor has been a wonderful okay. Um, okay. referral partner for me. Awesome. Um, awesome. And in, in terms of individuals, mm -hmm. um, mm -hmm. 
I'm also part of a BNI chapter that has been phenomenal and okay. helping me launch my business well, and really well, take awesome. it to, to I'm part I'm part of one too, so we're gonna go ahead and go for the green and make this a one to one as well, okay? Oh yeah. Oh good. <laughs> I know, oh, right? Always always looking it. to try to go for the green on that. Yeah. Um yeah, I'm, of course everywhere I show up I somehow manage to become in charge, so I'm gonna be the VP for next next year okay okay i was a vp once i was a vp a couple years ago it is a decent amount of work that you have to do um because you got to stay on top of everything so it Mm -hmm. it'll be a busier year for you um now we've talked about this business stuff and you know we understand your purpose how you got out there who you can help who's good referral so let's talk about something fun now who if you did not have to or were not a content writer um, what would you do if you could just be anything that you wanted to be? I'd work at a dictionary. <laughs> okay. You could work at Webster's or create your own. <laughs> it's true. Okay. It's true. Okay. Okay. So, I mean, you've had a little bit of the taste of my, my LinkedIn mm-hmm. profile, mm-hmm. Um, my LinkedIn social media posts. Mm-hmm. So the, mm-hmm. the, the pillar, the, the big popular post of the week and like, and it just so happens that Today's Wednesday. It's Word Nerd Wednesday. Yes, yes. And so I have always been fascinated with words. Okay. Always. Okay. Always. And this is a funny thing, too. When I talk to entrepreneurs, I always ask the question, what was it when you were a kid that you liked to do the most? And it, 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 I call that the imprinting experience. And for me, it was reading. Okay. So my mom, who is now 87 years old and could not be prouder that her daughter is a writer. Mm-hmm. And incidentally, my brother is also a writer. Nice. So it's a theme in the family, if you will. Um, I evidently started kindergarten already knowing how to read. Okay, that's awesome. And in Boston at the time, you went to kindergarten for two years for half days. So I started as a four-year-old. And... Teacher came out after the first day and said to my mom, you know that Judy can read, right? And my mom said, oh, yeah, we read to her all the time, but it's like the same five books. It's fine. She said, no, no, no. She can read. Right. Right. And I, and I, my earliest childhood memories are being in the grocery cart and reading signs in the store. And so the, my, my kindergarten teacher handed my mother a book and said, bring this home tonight read it to her and try to skip a page. So I remember it was the owl and the pussycat. Okay. And my mother started reading it and she skipped a page. And I said, mommy, mommy, you skipped a page. And I went back and I started reading it. And she was like, what is happening? Nice. Right. Nice. So in that have always been fascinated with words. I've always okay. loved to read. I've always loved to write. Um, but what's interesting about that too, Roderick is, when I was in college, I was in a class where we were, um, I was actually a, a big surprise. I was a English composition tutor in college. <laughs> okay. And um, so we were in a seminar and like learning pedagogy and things like that. And the professor came up with the question. I was like, well, what was it like when you learned to read? And everyone in the group, and I went to UMass Boston, a little bit about UMass Boston is that when I was there, the average student age was 27. Okay. It's a a very much a working class, um, you know, hub. Um, I was in school with people's grandmothers, Vietnam vets, 
convicted felons who were, you know, reintegrated <laughs> into society. Like, it, it, and I was diverse. Like, great, you know, diverse. Uh, very non-traditional. Big mm-hmm. surprise. You'll see this theme coming up for me too. Um, way to you know, go to college, but I loved it. And they were going around the room. It was like, oh, people were saying, I'm, a, I'm a, it was like getting let in on a great big secret and all this stuff. And they get to me. I'm like, um, what are you talking about? Mm-hmm. Like, what do you mean? I said, what do you mean talking about wanting to read? Mm-hmm. You know, like when in school, they're teaching you how to read, like phonics and stuff. I said, oh, I don't remember learning to read. I think I thought it was like breathing. Like we don't do that. It really, and it's still very hard for me to to conceptualize learning to read. Right. I mean, it's it's just so intuitive. Just came to you naturally. Yeah, came just so natural. so natural. Well, but the, what I tell people is like those are the experiences you have to go back to mm-hmm. to really think about how it is you got to where you are. Because that theme doesn't change. That imprinting experience stays. It's like Sharpie marker on a white couch. You can't get rid of it. <laughs> and you have to you know, really dig deep into thinking about like, what is it you were always into. Like My older daughter is studying to be an auto mechanic since she was small. Always wanted to tinker with things, always playing with Legos, always helping her dad who works in construction, fix things, do things. Now she and my younger daughter both work with him on his construction crew doing pipe fitting. Okay. You know, so it's the imprinting experience. Like that's what you really, that's what channels how you get to where you are. So that's always what I remind well, nice. That that's almost but, taken away from my next section that I'm gonna ask. Because part of what we do here is we try to highlight you, um, let others see your experience, your journey, uh, to let them know that it is okay to step out of what they're doing and try mm-hmm. something new. And that last section that we generally have is the last word. So, mm-hmm. talking about the imprinting of things or whatever things you want to talk about, what is that last word that you like to share with the audience today? I would say that, and I think this gets co-opted as, you know, follow your passion. And um, while there's certainly a lot of passion for me and words and putting them together and all that, it is really about setting aside the noise. Like there's so much noise out there. Social media is noise. Television is noise. Your mother-in-law's opinion is noise. Everything is noise. You have to deep get inside to think about your voice. Like listen to your voice and push out the other stuff and think about what is it that I want to do? Not what am I going to do to in also please other people at the same time? It's like that's noise. You have to think about it. What is it I'm looking for? And continually and it's a never-ending struggle because there's so much distraction in the world i don't think i know there's never been a a time in the course of human history where people more distracted than now right between social media the internet the noise of all what has happened in the past 18 months with covid and is continuing onward as the pandemic is morphing and changing there's just so much noise and you have to be able to kind of put on your own silencing headphones to listen to what your where your where it is. And your voice comes from here; it doesn't always come out of your mouth. Mm-hmm. Um, so that would be the final word I would have to say: that that you have to put aside the noise and listen to your voice. 
Well, awesome, awesome. Well, audience, we want you to block out the noise, but we don't want you to block out Judy 411. So, Judy, how can they get in contact with you? Best way to, to get a sense and taste for my writing and voice is at my website, www.judy411.com, and it's Judy with an I. And on there, you'll see there is a lead magnet, five ways to make your copy unboring. Mm-hmm. Feel free to download that. And there's a portfolio of work out there that people are welcome to take a look at. And I also have um, a blog that is largely devoted to the topic of writing, but there are a lot of my own personal stories invoked in there too. And there's a, a lot of um, baseball themed ones that are have uh, got a lot of traction of late. Nice. And, um, you get an introduction to the cast of characters with whom I was raised. Oh, cool. Awesome. Um, awesome. Yeah. Awesome. Full well, picture. Well, cool, Judy. We definitely appreciate you taking time out to spend with us today to share your experience. Uh, I'm very confident that to those entrepreneurs that are taking a look at the show today can learn a lot from you. Um, you have been a magnificent networking partner with us. And, you know, is there, you know, any other ways that we can help you uh, with the growth of your business? I would love to have people sign up for my newsletter, which is where I promote all of my content first, actually, for my blog, any new product offerings. That's really where people need to, um, that's where you'll get the best form one ever because you'll get the form one first. Okay. Well, you guys that are looking to have that excellent copy, please reach out to Judy. Again, we appreciate your time today and thank you so much today, Judy. Thank you. Welcome.